You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Good morning, Holy Cross. I, it's good. I saw some good uh, holy fist bumps out there, right? Some, some anxiety, not want to touch anybody. I promise you just a public service announcement. We don't need a global pandemic for you to wash your hands. Y'all are disgusting. Wash your hands. And I promise, call it God's providence or just dumb luck, this psalm has nothing to do with the coronavirus. This is, we're going through the psalms, and this is where, this is where we are. Um, and so maybe you, maybe you heard kind of the heart of this psalm. Maybe you caught on to it right in the middle of this, Psalm 90, um, as it was read in verse 12. And this is the heart of the passage that we'll be speaking about. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is a famous phrase. Maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you've heard it before. Uh, it could be summarized in this way. Life is short, so live wisely. Life is short, so live wisely. And this is somewhat ironic. Have you ever noticed that when you, this phrase, or at least half of the phrase is used, life is short, someone's about to do something very foolish rather than something wise. Life is short, and then they go skydiving. Life is short, and then they, they splurge on a new, a new car that they've always wanted. You know, life is short, and then they get you know, sushi from a gas station or something. <laughs> life may be short for them, um, or at least shorter. But here in Psalm 90, wisdom is in view. Uh, not a life of recklessness, because our days are short, relatively speaking, but rather uh, a heart of wisdom to use our days wisely with the short amount of time that we have. Uh, so what is wisdom? Wisdom could be said like this. Wisdom is the knowledge and character of God put to practical daily use. Pretty simple. The knowledge and character of God. Who is God? What has he done? What has he revealed to us? How do I take that information and apply it in my day? How I live and how I act and how I feel and my attitudes, my perspectives. So wisdom is not just information. Wisdom and, and intelligence are not synonymous. But there's rather knowing how to use that information in a way that demonstrates God's, God's character. Much of life is spent picking up pieces of the mess that we've created through our own sin and suffering, uh, either the sins of ourselves or other people's sins, and trying to cope with a life that's just simply broken and doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Like This is how God has meant for us to to be this is how he created us and has meant for us to live, to live in a practical way using his knowledge and his character and living out the implications of that every day. But sin and rebellion and selfishness has not made us wise, but rather it's made us fools. And so we need to be instructed to remember that our days are short and to live a life of wisdom. So Psalm 90 begins to answer for us how, in the midst of an imperfect world and in the midst of difficulty and struggle, in the midst of being simple people living in a broken world that doesn't work right, how do we still live a life well lived, even given all the difficulty in our life? Wouldn't you like to know that? Okay, how do I live a life well lived given the circumstances of my life and, and the world and, and the day-to-day -day struggles I find myself in? Can I still live a life well lived? You can. And like many answers in the Bible, we find our answer really in an unlikely place. Psalm 90 shows us the way, and it's maybe unlikely for you. The way to get wisdom, the way to a well-lived life is found by believing 
few biblical foundations found in this psalm, and here they are. We are mortal, God is eternal, and we can be joyful. Why don't we walk through each of those together this morning? I told you they were unlikely, but let's see what they mean for us. First, we are mortal. No doubt as you followed along in the passage as it's read, this, is really, this makes up the, the lion's share of this passage uh, in so many different ways, all, from verse 3 all the way to verse 12. It's just different ways of describing the weakness of human life. Different ways of describing the, how shockingly, relatively brief the days of our life are. And I'm even struck by how contemporary this sounds and how re- relevant this psalm sounds. Moses is the author of this psalm. It's the only psalm attributed to Moses. Yes, that Moses, <laughs> the same one. And he asks in verse 10, how, how long do we really live? 70, 80 years? The average lifespan in the United States is 76 years. Some of you have beat that. Praise God and amen, and God bless you. Some of you won't reach that. Well, isn't this sermon a ray of sunshine? <laughs> you know, realism about our weakness, realism about our frailty, the brevity of life is, is one of the foundations of living a life of wisdom before God. For it's realism about our weakness that sets us on a, a path to wisdom that is beyond ourselves. It's a path of wisdom that's, that's outside of ourselves, not found within ourselves. Meditating on our own frailty is not only consistent with reality, but it's, it's, it welcomes God to teach us. It creates a, a posture and disposition of our heart and our minds before God that says, okay, we are, we are frail and weak and teach us how to live. We don't know everything. So let's just spend a few minutes seeing how Moses enlightens us in our own mortality. In verse 3, he says, God returns us to dust one day. Uh, Many parents threaten their children with this line, but God's the only one who can really say it. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. That's what God is saying. Moses is, is, is just realizing he's, he's meditating on his life. He says, well, God created me out of, out of dust. He, he created man out of dust, and, and to dust we return one day. How weak is that? Verse 4, a thousand years is like one day from God's perspective. A thousand years. It's like one day. A thousand years. Isn't that amazing? Consider what's happened in the last thousand years. The Christian Crusades, the printing press, Marco Polo. The Italian Explorer, not the message app. Um, The Renaissance, Christopher Columbus, Magellan's trip around the globe, the light bulb, the Declaration of Independence, cars, television, radio, TV, vaccinations, the moon landing, the Macarena. I mean, look at all of the things. This is a really somber psalm. I'm trying to lighten it up for you a bit. A lot's happened in a thousand years, one day. One day. A day for God. In verse 5, he says, our, days, our, our life is like a dream. What does he mean here? A, a vivid dream. You know what it's like when you're in the midst of a dream, how specific and vivid and clear it is? And then you wake up and you say, there's no way. That was so vivid, vivid there's no way I'll forget it. What happens like three and a half seconds later? It's gone can't even remember the details of it. You can't even remember the general, the general storyline of it. And by the mid, mid-afternoon, you can't, you can't even remember you had a dream. 
The psalmist is saying that's what our life is like. In this moment, we think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's significant, important, valuable, will last forever, and then it's forgotten. Can you name anyone in your family from 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 100 years ago? So too, no one will remember you in 200 years. Listen, I didn't write this. I'm just the messenger, okay? No one will remember you. Um, verse 9, all the years are brought to an end like a sigh. Not brought to an end with a sigh, but like a sigh. He's not describing that one day our breath will give out and we will be no more. But he's saying, like a sigh, our life is as brief and inconsequential as a sigh. So your whole life will be. How was your life? Did you miss it? Let me do it again. How many times do you sigh a day? Um, the researchers at UCLA determined that a healthy person will sigh up to 12 times an hour. That's once every five minutes. And actually, we need to sigh. Is that right? We have some doctors in here. I don't know. Um, five times. Five times an hour. I'm sorry, every, uh, wait, that's once every five minutes. In the span of time that you'll listen to this sermon, the God's perspective of your life will pass from birth to death six times. The span of your life could fill six times over just, this, just the 30 minutes. So maybe you should listen more intently this morning. Maybe you should take a moment and just meditate and say maybe this moment's important. Maybe, maybe what God is teaching us is important. We begin to get a heart of wisdom when we think like that. And, and in fact, this is the very purpose of meditating on our own mortality. The psalm says, so, so teach us to number our days. Since all of this is true, and since we are weak, and so since our life is brief, then let us, let us approach life with wisdom. Give us wisdom so that we know how to spend this time that is so brief. He's saying, since our days are brief, help us to improve upon the time that we have for all of our time on earth is so brief, it feels like we don't have any time at all. It feels like it passes so quickly. Even if we live up to a, a normal and healthy life expectancy, even if we exceed that by great measure, it is still so brief. Teach me to make the most of it. Every moment, every word, every thought, every attitude, every action, every sacrifice, every attitude, everything I do, let me, let me improve upon it so that I may live a life well lived. To waste time is, is really painful. I don't like to waste time. But if it, I don't like to waste money either. And the two are very similar at times. To waste time is so painful, if not more painful, than wasting money. I took my kids to the toy store recently. My daughter, Kate, had $15 and so in a whole store. Right? She was in paradise. She took a little bit of time to look around and finally landed on the thing that she wanted. She made her decision. We go to the cash register, it's $14, she has 15. And I, one by one, I start counting out from her wallet, 14, you know, one, two, $14. And she's shocked, devastated. She looks and, and she's got $1 bill in there. And you see, what I, what I can only describe in her face was the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, starting to figure it out. And I said, you could have money 
or this worthless piece of plastic. You can't have both. And I see wisdom bubbling up in her brain. That's what wisdom looks like. You don't have it. You, you lack it until you realize the brevity of life, the brevity of finances. You're like, wow, this is, okay, it's real now. Giving it away and, and realizing that this once uh, uh, full wallet that was hard to close is now pitiful and empty. I think I want to spend my money more carefully. That's what's happening. As we focus on the brevity of time in our life, we are to say, how do I, how do I improve upon this? How do I make the most of it? That's wisdom. But alas, foolishness won the day. She no longer plays with a toy and doesn't have any money either. <laughs> are you at risk of wasting your time? Are you at risk of wasting your life? Are you, are you at risk of wasting today, tomorrow, the next day? How will you gain wisdom to make the most of this day? Are you at risk of that? What things pull you away from, from, from neglecting to, to realize your own weakness and limitations and frailty of your own life? What does it look like to waste our day? Let's talk about that. Well, it's to count the wrong things. We count money, we count our work promotions, we count our praises from others, we count the number of shoes. I don't know, what, what is your thing? What do you count in your life? To what do you look at and say, this is what makes my life important? You're counting, you're enumerating, you are measuring. You're measuring your life. And, 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 and Moses is saying, Let's, let us count our days so that we may gain wisdom. What do you count in your life? What do you measure? And then you look at the, 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 the things that you have accumulated in your life and say, this is what makes a life well lived. Here are the amount of, 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 of obedient children I've raised. Here is the career that I have built. Here is, is the, the marriage that I've invested in. Here is the, uh, the community I've participated in. Here, here is the, the, the money I have saved up. You're enumerating, you're counting everything. And, and when you're doing that, you're saying, this is wisdom. This is a life well lived. And Moses says, let's count our days. Um, to approach life with wisdom, we count our days. We, we, we measure the frailty of life. And we, we say, how can we make the most of this time on earth because it's so brief? And all of those other things that we count, if we put those above uh, the days that God has given to us, we, we're not demonstrating wisdom. Rather, it's foolishness. Now, meditation on the frailty of life is not all that we see in this psalm, thankfully. There's another foundation that leads to wisdom, and that's the attitude that, that God is eternal. And I'm really gl glad that He is. It's good that, that He is eternal. We are, we are brief and frail and weak, and our life is short, but God's is not. In fact, it is eternal. Look at verse 1 to 2 again. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had uh, formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here's the point. Our lives may be brief. Our lives may be frail, short, and weak, but God is not. He is our dwelling place. He is a refuge. He is a stronghold. And we hide ourselves in Him. And even though our life is brief, God is strong. And He 
has no end. You see, when Moses talks about us, he kind of shrinks our time, doesn't he? As the more he talks about us, our, our lives get shorter and shorter and shorter to where it's just a, a brief sigh. But when he talks about God, he expands time. Look how big God is. Look how everlasting he is. No, you're not thinking, you're not thinking well enough. Consider God's everlasting. Consider his eternality. Consider that God doesn't grow weary. He wants to slow down time when we think of God so that we can consider the God who created, who governs all of creation, who was there before creation, who directs the course of history and all life's consequences with his infinite power. From everlasting to everlasting, as far back as you can imagine and even further back from that to as far forward as you can imagine and even far, farther forward than that. Before anything was, he, he was. Before mountains, he was. Before the life that was created, he was. In the worst of storms and even in the, the strongest created thing will fail. Even the strongest building will fail in the worst and most powerful of storms. But God will not. We're meant to see a, a clear comparison between our life and God's existence. Do you see that? It's hard not to, to see it. We get weak, God does not. We get bored, God does not. A thousand years, you think a thousand years, I'd get bored. It's like a day for God. We get sick, tired, weak, scared, nervous, anxious, worn out, confused. God doesn't get any of those things. And since he does not, we should not merely spend our life occasionally running to God in prayer when we feel weak, but rather we should hide ourselves in him. We should actually, as this passage says, make him our home, our dwelling place, our residence. This is different than just looking at God as a, a place of comfort when life is hard. And when life is hard, we go to him, we bring our prayers to him, we ask him to comfort us, he blesses us, and then we go back into the storm. Moses is saying, live there. Hide yourself in him. God is our comfort and our protection. He's, he's with us. We should make him our home. When Moses says that God is our dwelling place in all generations, he is saying no matter where we go and no matter what happens to us, God is our comfort and our protection. He is with us forever. There is no storm. There is no, there is no thing in life that can happen to us that reminds us that life is brief where God is not there. Your circumstances may change for the worst tomorrow, but God will not. The world may shake and come undone, but God will not. How does this teach us wisdom? Well, consider this. If God is greater than everything in the world, and if we have God who is greater than everything in the world, and he loves us, then why do we become discouraged when we lose the approval of other people? If God is greater and stronger in his infinite power than anything in the whole world, and he loves us, then why do we become defensive in the smallest arguments and critiques from others? Why do we become worried and anxious by the instability in our world? Why do we become afraid when the pain of life threatens our comfort? Why do any of those things happen if God 
is eternal and strong and he loves us. And he's our refuge and our hiding place. Why do you become unraveled in your heart when the smallest dust particle on the table moves from its place on the table to another place on the table? That's what's happening in this psalm. It's saying, why do you get so stressed out by that? It's like a speck of dust and the wind blows and the dust moves a couple inches on the table and your life becomes undone. That's how foolish it sounds if we have God. And he is eternal and he's from everlasting to everlasting. It doesn't matter if the life that is a speck of dust moves from one place to the next. We are okay. For we have God and he loves us. When God is in control of the whole world and you are hiding in him, what is there to fear? We fear And this happens, fear comes in when the speck of dust moves from one place to the next and we become afraid. It happens um, by believing one of two lies, or maybe both at the same time. And here they are. One, we give in to the lie that we are not weak, but we're strong enough to control our lives. So we, we don't believe in the frailty of human life, and we say, I can do this. Life is hard, but I can beat this. That's a lie. Moses says, you might live 70, you might live 80, you might live 120. But you're going to die. And so it's, a, it's an illusion to say that we can beat this, we are strong, and we can get our life together. Whatever storms we face, we can do this. Or we believe another lie. We give in to the lie that God is not eternal, but he's temporary and he's incapable of actually helping us. So we might realize that we're weak, but we, then we say, well, does God really care? Is he really a hiding place? Can I really be secure in his love when life is is hard? Sometimes we believe both of those lies at the same time. And so we dwell on the realism of our weakness and we dwell on the realism of God's eternity. And only then, only when we hold two of those biblical realities in our minds and meditate on them, can we truly now pursue a life of joy Only now can we be joyful. The final foundation of a a life well lived is that that we believe that we can actually be joyful, that our life matters, and that even though our life is brief, even in this moment, we can find great happiness, great gladness. A long meditation on the brevity of life might lead us to just give up hope. That's why this is important that Moses touches on this. Okay, I'm convinced life is short. So should, should we really just, should we really care how we live if it's so short? Moses doesn't throw up his hands in hopelessness. Rather, he brings a bold request to God. In verse 15 to 17, go there again. He says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, as for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. How, in a life of affliction and under the realism of our own frailty, can we still have joy and gladness? Well, the world will tell you, you can by, doing this, by believing this. What doesn't kill you makes you strong. You've heard it before. Have you believed it? So with that reasoning, our life matters if we overcome the difficulty of our life and learn from it. 
Our life has meaning when we learn from our mistakes. Our life has meaning and we are important to God when the difficulties of life don't, don't stress our faith or cripple our hope. Because whatever happens, if you become stronger, Moses would say, did you forget already that your life is but a sigh? That's not the wisdom of this psalm. Here, what the psalmist is praying for, he is saying, our life is so short, yet we experience such pain. Let me know that my life still matters. So he's asking God, he's bringing a bold request. He's saying, okay, I believe my life is short, and you are, you're eternal. Convince me that I'm important. Convince me that you care for me. If I'm dust, if I am a sigh, if the span of my life is virtually nothing, now you have to do some work to convince me that you love me still. That I'm not inconsequential, in, 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 in that I'm not insignificant. And then I will be glad if you can convince me that my life has meaning, even in the midst of my suffering, then I'll be glad and I have no reason to be, to be worried. I can be joyful. I can, I can be happy. I can have joy in the midst of a difficult life. Joy is possible when we know that everything we go through is not a waste. I think that's what happens when we, if we can realize that the, what's happened in our life that's been difficult, the pain, the suffering, the disappointment, the expectations that were not met, when our life circumstances don't match up with God's ex, uh, promises, and we realize that it's all been worth it, well, that's gladness, that's joy. Our faith is not a waste in the midst of suffering. So he says, God, somehow make my life matter. Somehow show me that my life matters, that my suffering matters. Have you ever asked that before? Have you ever asked God of that? Have you ever brought that bold request to him? Say, don't waste this, because I couldn't bear it if this was for nothing. Make my life matter. Maybe you're there now. So the psalm wrestles with this profound question, and do you see it? If God is eternal and perfect, and we are dust, and our life is but a dream that many forget, how do we know that we matter to him? That's how the psalmist is wrestling with this, and I want you to wrestle with it as well. And the psalmist realizes that the only one way uh, to know for sure that we matter to God is if God shows us. So that's what he asks for. He says, okay, prove it to me. Show me that I matter. Do something. Do something to show us that even though we are dust, that you matter, that we matter to you. In verse 16, he says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. What he's saying is the only way that we can know for sure that God's steadfast love is upon us for all the days is if God did something, some magnificent work, that demonstrates both his, his glory and his perfection and his beauty, but also his love for us and his concern for us. And we will know for sure, Moses is saying, we will know for sure that you care for us and that you love us if your demands for, for holiness and your love converge in some activity that describes and demonstrates them both right at one point. So show us your power and show us that you care for us still. Show us that we are nothing in a sense of that we, are, that we are dust, but you still love us even though we are dust. 
And this happens in many ways throughout history of God's people, but no clearer of a place do we see this than at the cross of Jesus. By the time we get to the New Testament, we see exactly what God is willing to do to show us that our life matters and he loves us even though our life is brief. We see the eternal God who is from everlasting to everlasting, who was before everything that ever was. He steps into mortal life. He becomes obedient unto death. God doesn't send us a teacher to just teach us wisdom. God doesn't merely send a friend to comfort us or a counselor. He doesn't send us a warrior king to protect us from the external difficulties of life. He comes himself. The eternal God took on flesh, the mortal flesh that suffered, that ached, that cried, that was lonely, that felt the agony of the world and the brevity of life itself. And and if that wasn't enough to express his love for us, he steps into our graves that were dug for us because of our sin. Moses reflects on that as well. He takes the wrath of God upon himself that we deserve. And if that weren't enough to express his love for us, he beats death and breaks the curse of sin, rising from the grave and triumphing over death and sin itself. Moses is asking, do something that shows us that even though our life is brief, you care for us. And so he comes and he comes into our life. And he lives the brevity of life that we live. And he dies at death for us. Is there anything that could show us that we matter more to him than by him walking in our shoes and yet living a life well lived where we have failed? And then dying the death that we deserve, but not just that, but taking on our worst nightmare, the wrath and punishment of God for all the the mistakes and sins that we have committed. So Moses is saying, show us some place where your glory and your love converge in one spot. And Jesus opens up his arms and he dies on the cross and he says, is this enough for you? Is this a clear enough picture for you? That even though your life is frail, you mean the world to me. The message of the Bible is not, are you suffering? Is your life weak? Are you disappointed? Then try harder. That's not the message of the Bible. There's no real comfort in that. How can we know that we are significant to God and that our brief life matters? If the eternal God gave himself for you, then he cares for you enormously, monumentally. And if he would do that, no matter what crisis or struggle you're facing in life, no matter what is causing you to question his love or concern for you, you can be sure that he will make you glad for as many days as he has afflicted you. We see this scale of affliction that seems to outmatch the joy that we have in life. And Moses says, can you turn the scale the other way? And God replies with, I will do it. And I will do it in such a good way and better way than you can ever imagine. I will do it in such a way that Paul in the New Testament says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. 
the joy that awaits us is beyond your own imagination. It will be so profound, so full of gladness that, that, that our pain in this life will, won't even be a memory. It will be like a dream that once was so vivid. And you will wonder, I think I suffered at one point, but I can't really recall. It's like a dream. Because all I have now is the fullness of joy. Let us not merely focus on the eternal God. Let us not merely focus on the brevity of our own life. That's not the point in this psalm. Let us focus more intently on Jesus, the one who shows us the work of God. Let us show us the one who has convinced us that he loves us still, who gives us favor of God, who makes our lives matter, who establishes our joy forever. Let us focus on Jesus, our hope and our joy.